0: This podcast is conducted by Kenyon Clark, by Kathleen Mitchell Abrams, and Clark Mitchell. Today we're going to talk about a a wonderful ancestor of ours, Daniel Porter Clark, and Elizabeth Plowell was his wife. He has a very illustrious history and he's going to receive a lot of reward for it. He he was born in Onondaga County, New York, and uh, we have no information about his death or his birth, but we do about his father, Russell, Uh, and we're not going to talk about him. They heard the gospel And they wondered about it, and they followed it, lived it, uh, nearly the whole family. And the record shows their children were born all the way across the United States, which indicates they went with the church, wherever it went. We don't know too much about him. He may have been the father of either one of this couple that we're talking about. The children we know to be born to them were Caroline Eliza, Daniel Porter, Warren Southwick, and Helen Marr. Well, Warren Southwick died very young, and so the census that I'm talking about only this three children. It wasn't very long after her death, she had married Justice Morse. That he decided that he was going to go to Texas with Lyman White. He was tired of what they were doing on the trail, and so he decided he's going to Texas. But the four children of Clark, they decided on their own that they were going to go west with the church, which they did, and that's where their history lies. Well, at the time, of Elizabeth Morris's death they belong to the Remus branch in Macedonia
1: Illinois. Elizabeth was
0: 41 years old
1: Illinois
0: Macedonia Illinois uh, Macedonia Illinois that's not very far away from from
1: uh,
0: Nauvoo well Helen Marr were baptized in 1837, but we planned no exact date for Daniel's baptism. Daniel had been in love with a young school teacher, and they had decided to get married this summer, so he was laboring hard to take on this added responsibility. The wife, Daniel Porter Clark, Sarah Melissa Hakes, was the daughter of Whedon to get preparations together. And uh, they made six miles the first day. Wow. The Camp of Israel was designated the Camp of Israel. It began at its advance on the first day of March. And the day of starting was on Sunday. Now, we all know that Sunday's not a good day for starts on anything, being the Sabbath day. But the leadership of the camp felt that the militia and the mobs were uh, so close behind them that they had to get out. They had to go. And so they started on Sunday to put just as much distance as they could possibly get between them and the mobs. So, so they went. They made uh, six miles the first day and they camped on a place called Sugar Creek. The weather was still bitter cold with four or five inches of frozen snow on the ground. Van der Hakes and Elizabeth Amanda Beebe, She came with her parents and four sisters from the state of New York to Ohio and on to Illinois. It was here that Sarah Melissa taught school for two and a half years, where she was driven from the school by armed men threatening to kill the Mormons or drive them from the state. I have here in front of me a, a copy of the Patriarchal Blessing of Daniel Porter Clark. And it's going to be read to us by, by Ken and me.
2: Okay, this is the, was given by Patriarch Smith, the 25th of January in 1846. Brother Daniel, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the authority of the Holy, Holy Melchizedek Priesthood vested in me, you lay my hands upon your head and seal upon thy father's blessing, for thou art an orphan and thou hast a right to all the blessings of the new and everlasting covenant, because thou hast obeyed the gospel in the days of thy youth, and hast manifested a willingness to submit to the laws, rights, and regulations of the said church with a perfect heart and a willing mind, which thing is pleasing unto the Lord, and thy name is written on the book of the the sanctified, and thou art called to go forth in all nations of the earth to hunt up the remnants of Jacob and to push them together from the ends of the earth as the prophets have spoken. Thou shalt be blessed in thy labors, baptize many and lead them to Zion with much riches. No power on earth shall stay thy hand. Thou shalt have power to confound the wise and the learned, have power to work miracles when it is necessary for the salvation of men. Thy name shall be held in honorable remembrance in the church forever. And inasmuch as thou art faithful in thy calling, thou shalt inherit all the blessings of the Redeemer's kingdom, worlds without end. For thou art the blood of Ephraim, even so. Amen.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Kenyon. Uh, We've been told that Daniel had a good blanket in that and was able to pretty well uh, prepare for his own family's journey. But along the way he acquired the uh, the added burden of uh, Amherst Lyman and his family. And so they had a struggle all along the way. For an example, there were uh, the fantastic number of 400 wagons in this in this in this company, and they lingered for about three weeks. But they cleared places for tents and campfires as soon as the city the city had sprung up. They they camped in a place where there was plenty of timber. And, and though they were in extreme cold and wet, they were just ter- in, in terrible shape. The men rolled large logs together and, and set fire to them and kept fires going all night long, which uh, undoubtedly saved the lives of several babies at the time. They suffered and struggled until August when they were forced to abandon their plans to go to the Rocky Mountain of that year. This was because of the Mormon battalion. Mormon battalion was filled up with men from from the camp of Israel at winter quarters. So, actually it turned out 600 men were taken from them who were able-bodied men and who simply were missing. And the camp had to do it entirely without them.
1: A lot of women had to do all the hard work.
0: Yeah, I'll say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Daniel Clark's sister, Helen Maher, uh, gave her birth to her first child just one month to the day after landing at winter quarters and named him uh, Daniel Whedon. But he did not live, he, uh, he succumbed to death some two months later and uh, a lot of other children did, uh, did too. The Mormon bowed in grief over the grave of the child according to a famous Utah sculpt, sculptor Avered Fairbanks, to, to depict so realistically. The first winter was one of great privation, black canker, scurvy. Oh, it's, it's painful to think about it. Sometimes there were not enough wealth to take care of the sick, comfort the dying, and bury the dead. Oh, Daniel Clark had to lay away two of his sisters-in-law because they just, uh, they just died and, and were buried at one quarter. The camp was now short, 600, and uh, so they first camped on the east side of the river. Uh, because grandfather was raised on a farm, he, uh, he was considered uh, one of the experts in the company uh, about um, crops, food, other things having to do with farm. And so he was chosen by the leadership of the group to wait one year to come to, uh, to Utah. And so he followed, he and um, Sarah Melinda. Sarah Melissa. Sarah Melissa. They waited for one summer to come and spent that summer just in heavy labor, raising food and saving as much as they possibly could. And so as a result, their second son, their first son died, their second son, Edgar Leonidas, he came across the plains as a pioneer but in his mother's arm, and so we have a, quite a detailed history. He was
1: born in winter quarters.
0: He, he was born, uh, yes, yeah, so he was born in the winter quarters and, and came across the plains. Mother, after her confinement, was not able to feed her baby. She was weak and, and, and poorly and uh, would have lost the baby, for sure, except for the help of a, of a very important person, that was Pallana uh who, ha- who was nursing a slightly older baby and who undertook to nurse this new baby and saved that year to go and was still alive, undoubtedly. Now, we, have,
1: we just have to mention here that now this is Edgar Leonidas, and he's our grandfather. Yes. all of us, all three of us, he's our grandfather.
0: Well, that, that's been said. That sounds good. Uh, census was taken of this, this company soon after they started on their westward journey, and it consisted of uh, 252 men and children, uh, women, 21 black people. 551 cattle, 28 horses, 15 mules, 110 sheep, 39 pigs, 16 dogs, 3 cats, 5 ducks, and 4 doves. Well, when they got to the Rockies, they they suffered a lot of suffering. It took them four long, weary months to reach Salt Lake Valley. And uh, from then, from Salt Lake Valley, came nine yoke of oxen, six mules, and two wagons to help them to finish the last part of their journey. Helen Mar Clark Callister, Callister had come one year ahead of her brother, General, and they were made happy to meet each other again. She had two babies and was now residing in Tillmore as the wife of the Brother Colliser. I don't know if first name. Thomas, I believe. Okay. Well, Grandfather found it hard to find food even though there was plenty of work. Sugar and flour, I got a dollar a pound, and a dollar a pound meant one heck of a lot. Of to, uh, to the pioneers. So they did not eat white bread. And they saved it for their young son. I want to be at Giuliani really Clark. And he was taught to pick up every crumb that would fall. They were able to obtain some corn which they ground into the meal, but the meal was a main diet was Roots and Greens.
1: Well, Daniel was in Salt Lake and um, his good friend Amasa Lyman, um, the captain of his 50, they'd become good friends over crossing the plains. Amasa was called to uh, by Brigham Young to colonize Southern California. Um, Brigham wanted a place for um, some of the saints who were going to cross by ocean in onto the west coasts of America to have a place to rest and uh, reprovision so they could come to Utah. And so Brigham wanted a place, I think, I think he wanted a place to um, grow oranges. (laughs) He sent Amasa and Amasa chose Daniel Porter and several other men to go to Southern California and check it, check out the situation and see what it was like down there. They came back with glowing tales of gold found. In fact, they brought a little bit of gold back to Brigham Young for the temple. And they said they were vast fertile fields to grow just almost any kind of crop that they needed. So Brigham Young decided that that was a place he needed to colonize and send a group of people. So he uh, once again assigned Amasa. Now this was 1940, maybe 1850, um, that they, he wanted them to get a bunch of people to go down and settle. So Daniel Porter again was chosen, so he took his family, his family, was just his one son, Edgar, uh, his wife, and his wife's parents, and three of his wife's siblings. They all were in one little group and uh, went with Daniel's wagon. They had a hard time getting down there because when they started it was very, very cold, and then when they got to the desert, by that time, it was very, very hot, but they were so glad to reach um, the San Bernardino Valley. They um, immediately set up um, the beginnings of a town and they grew crops and were very successful. Um, my grandfather Edgar remembers a house that was built there, uh, a lovely white house with bushes and flowers and. Um, it was a really, he said, it was a really lovely place. Uh, I think about the um, about that time, Edgar was eight, nine, ten, and I'm sure that already he had become his father's helper in everything. He probably learned to ride a horse right then, and he learned to farm. Um, if I could remember what
0: Cathy we should remember it here at it this point that the the church and their membership purchased the land from uh, Spanish uh, owners. I can't remember the name, but unless who can. I can't
1: remember
2: the name. So was it San Bernardino? But where
1: they wa- were? They were in San Bernardino, yeah. uh huh and they had uh, plenty of lumber up in the San Bernardino Mountains to build uh, homes. They built a grist mill, and um, they harvested thousands of grains of uh, acres of grain that they could send to Salt Lake City. I think it was around 1859 that um, Brigham Young was threatened up in Salt Lake with Johnston's army, and he became afraid for all of his colonies, so he called for everyone to come back to Salt Lake City. Um, so Daniel, um, they said they said that the day after people were packing and uh, following the prophet's admonition, they started for Salt Lake City and their little daughter, their little four-year-old daughter, got dysentery on the way home and she died just before they reached Parowan and since Parowan had already been settled for ten years or so, they just decided that that's where they were going to stop. They were now in Utah and supposedly safe and so they decided Parowan is the place they were going to settle.
0: Because that's where they buried their little girl.
1: Yeah. They buried her and decided they
2: were gonna stay with her, I think. Yeah, I, I, do yeah, I think so. Didn't they, they also sold everything for basically that they had for about 10 cents on the dollar? I, I know what my dad told me that, and that they uh, only took very, the very essentials that they needed to go on this trek back to Salt Lake and end up in Parawan, but they were able to. Uh, save just a little bit of money on everything that they own down there by, by selling it.
1: Uh, that reminds us of Nauvoo. Daniel and Sarah, um, Sarah had done this before. They basically sold everything that they had in Nauvoo for 10 cents on the dollar and, and came across the plains basically broke flat, many, of, flat. many
0: of them came even though they couldn't sell anything. Yeah, they just dropped it.
1: They just closed their house. Closed the their floor, house and
0: left. And left.
2: Dad also told me too that they supplied that part of California with produce all, all across that part of California and uh, were doing very well financially at that time. And they gave up a lot to to leave and go back as Brigham Young asked them to. Yeah.
1: I think Amos Lyman settled in Parowan too, because there are his uh, Lyman descendants there also and so they um, they just stopped and started living in Perowin. Kenyon's going to tell us about Daniel's life in Perowin and uh, needless to say I and I think Clark and Kenyon also are just very very grateful to this great grandfather of ours, who was such a stalwart and who was so faithful, and who was so good, um, he just he took care of his wife's family, his own family, and when he got to Parowan, he took care of a lot of other people, as we will soon hear.
2: When my grandfather arrived in Parowan, he was able to. Do many activities which help secure his family and get them a place to live. He purchased two large city lots with Vander Hakes and put up an adobe house on each of the, each lot. Each house had two large rooms, and the two families lived there for a short time. Grandfather purchased a farm of several acres west of Perwin where he planted immediately into grain and potatoes. With the rotation of crops, he cultivated this land for the remainder of his life. He also put up a shingle mill on the canyon streams just south of town. He established a ranch in the mountains 10 miles away that he called the Yankee Meadow. From this ranch, he felled large white pine trees and sawed them into lumber and took most of the loads and choice pieces to Salt Lake City where they were donated for the building of the temple. He also donated a great deal of lumber and shingles toward finishing the floors and roof of the Rock Meeting House in Perlin, now called the Old Rock Church. Improvement was grandfather's motto. He planted orchards of fruit trees back of each of his homes and planted 10 or 12 shade trees, lilacs, rose bushes and flowers to beautify and make them attractive. No room was left for weeds. There was always space set aside for a vegetable garden at grandpa's homes. Grandfather crossed draft horses, which were Normans and Clydesdales, with small tough Spanish ponies that he had brought from California. The result was a larger, better, stronger animal for pulling heavy loads. He stated that he had sold a three-year-old Norman stallion for $1,000 A half-breed Norman and Clydesdales could range from $700 up to even more, according to their style and heft. In 1878, Clark sent his son Edgar, my grandfather, back east to purchase two thoroughbred fillies, running stock from the Richard Stables, Blue Streak Grass Park, Kentucky. He paid $2,000 for them and $250 for their freight to get them out west. The first two stallions he imported were named Warfield and Winfield, improving the strength and swiftness of saddle and buggy stock. Another splendid stallion purchased by him was named Mark Livingston. Many of the fine saddle horses and race horses of today owe their heritage to this noble animal. During the summers grandfather kept all these blooded animals at his ranch in the mountains and he and his son smoked as high as 50 cows and made cheese and butter. The cheese weighed from 40 to 50 pounds a piece. All surplus butter was pounded down in five gallon cans, covered with a layer of salt and sealed for the winter. He never sold any of this because he gave it to the needy. Grandfather served as Sheriff of Iron County for 10 or 12 years. He was very active in the church, and very active in church work. He was appointed a member of the High Council on the 29th of November, 1859, and he held this position for many years. At one time, he was the chairman of a committee that gave the Indians a feast of meat, potatoes, and beets. When they had finished eating, the captain of the Panheads, the tribe of the Indians near Perwin, he and Grandpa were good friends. His name was Chief Canera, most of his work in the church was heading committees for the benefit of poor and the sick. Grandfather was a practical doctor. He knew the medicinal properties of all the wild herbs that grew in the canyons or along the hillsides in Perwan. He took his grandchildren to gather these herbs and taught them the names and their uses and the stringent qualities of the manzanita leaves and the pine bark, the relaxing and soothing teas of the penny royal, and the many uses of wild sage from uh, soaking bruised and sprained limbs to the use of a rinse to retain hair color. Seems as though every herb, shrub, or tree on the mountains, he could do something with that to benefit man or beast. He was very successful in setting broken bones or dislocated limbs. He had the gift of diagnosing the different diseases and traveled to all the nearby settlements Caring for anyone, who would call for his help. He would stay there and care for the person until he was better or until he had passed away. And if he did pass away, he would prepare him for burial because there was no undertaker in the town. If there was any sickness or injury of an Indian, black or white, friend or foe in the community or across the, the lake, meaning a uh, little Great Salt Lake, He was there and did what he could, staying all day or all night as he was needed. He was a true servant to all. Grandfather also hired many boys to work for him, and he searched for the orphan or the fatherless boy, not the best workmen, but those who need someone to look after them and direct their lives in the right channel. Grandfather was a kind, understanding man who taught his grandchildren so many valuable things. He was about six feet tall with broad shoulders. His hair was brown and streaked with gray. He wore a bushy beard, not too long, but it covered most of his intelligent face. His eyes to me were the most interesting part of his look. His eyes were the most interesting part of his looks. They were unusually bright blue with piercing kindness. He could look right through a person. And with that look went the love and understanding. He dearly loved his family. He suffered his last years of his life with renal colic. He died on the 17th of April, 1885.